I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey. Hey, hey Danny. I uh, had an idea for a special that we can do. Yeah. Like a two-hour special on Bicentennial Man. What do you think? Just all about that. <laughs> what do yeah. you reckon? Because yeah. I was just thinking the other day, you know, because Oscars is coming up, and last year when we had our, uh, when we, you know, had the Oscars party, and before the Oscars came on, we were watching a bit of Bicentennial Man, a film I'd never seen before. Yeah. And I was just mesmerized by the side of the um, Robin Williams in his Halloween costume, sort of wandering around the future, like watching people develop wrinkle makeup and die in front of him, and he's just, you know, travels to a land of robots, just the distant <laughs> future stuff. I was like, this is completely bizarre and i think you can really we should really tuck into it you know well it's set in 2006 that's when they get the first the first robot <laughs> the first the first humanoid of, robot yeah. yeah but he gets more and more human right as the as the as the ages pass yeah well do you want a spoiler as the spoiler he gets a dick yeah he gets a dick <laughs> that does happen is that the spoiler uh there's another spoiler <laughs> he gets an ass well i think it ends with him gets being granted like human and ship i don't know what you call it at the end it's like you are the oldest human you're not a robot anymore you I become see. fully human by right. every definition that's that. a, i mean that is a powerful story you can see why they uh, commissioned that one yeah uh you don't want to know what's an even more powerful story <laughs> <laughs> what's that <laughs> what uh so i i caught up uh with one of the movies that you reviewed a couple of weeks ago the work this are you, are you okay you want to hug buddy because it's okay we well, can hug each there's other. a lot of hugging it's like the opposite of Seinfeld. There's a lot of hugging and learning. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah, it's this documentary about a group. It's like a group therapy session that they do in Folsom Prison with both convicts and, I guess, people who can apply from the outside. Who are like, I want to be part of therapy, ideally, you know, yeah. with a bunch of convicts. That would be perfect. So they, so they let them in and they, they sort of sit around in a circle and they, they discuss their like, quite deep-seated uh, masculinity, masculinity issues. Yeah, I, I thought it, I thought it was really good, but the, the thing that I found interesting about it, or at least maybe like my slight reservation about it, is that I thought it was very um, compelling from the perspective of like this group of men who are so like the desperation of these people to uh, work things out or like to discover things about themselves or to work out their shit, you know. And yeah. there's this the sort of palpable sense that all these people are like they're so keen to kind of like deal like with their demons and, and that kind of thing um and i thought it was better from that perspective than necessarily like an endorsement of the process because you can't really judge from the movie the efficacy of, of what they're doing i think you know yeah. well but they don't like revisit them or anything and um 
and there's an assumption in the the way that the, that it's conducted and maybe from the perspective of the film as well that it's like uh, cathartic and sort of psychologically like effective to have these like massive breakdowns and i was sort of wondering while watching it that i mean i'm that's undoubtedly true to an extent you know i'm not I'm not discounting it but i was sort of wondering while watching it whether there's an extent to which you're in this four-day program and uh, day after day you're watching these like grown men break down and scream and cry and stuff and that's going to probably like have a psychological effect on you sure, anyway yeah um, and there's this one particular guy in it who's like the most like normie one you know he's like just works in a museum or something like that and he doesn't have any he doesn't come from a broken home or he yeah, seems yeah, yeah. like a relatively you know he said he had a much sort of smoother life journey than a lot of the other guys there's other guys saying you're like well i've chopped a man in half you know and i'm, I'm in yeah. here for 55 years because i've killed people and yeah you know, um and he's just like i just don't know what i'm doing with my life or i'm not sure about my career and then at the beginning he's like i don't think i'm gonna you know cry like all these other guys do but then like by the end you know he does have this moment uh and i was wondering like you can't really tell from the context of the movie whether that is bringing out something really genuine in him that's like you know uh very useful for him to exercise or whether it's a case of he is being in this atmosphere of very it must be very emotionally tiring to go day after day into this prison and watch people have these like very out there experiences and it's not surprising that you'd be like reduced to tears by the end of it you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean and then the movie has very little like sort of comment like it just presents things but it obviously has crafted a narrative and then at the end, there's a sort of, you know, like a lot of documentaries when they have the facts that come up at the end, like this is what happened next. One of them says something like such and such number of people have um, undergone this therapy work and then been released from prison and none of them have returned, which is sort of tan- it's like a tacit endorsement of the process. Yeah. So it's like there's a little bit of kind of editorializing at the end. And maybe, I mean, obviously the filmmakers really believe in it and, and it might well be a great thing, but I was just didn't think that the movie necessarily... It, you know, it's not clear necessarily whether it's working. Yeah. You'd have to do more. But yeah, but it's still a very, yeah, it's a very compelling. And there's obviously a lot of like emotional truth in in what goes down there. So I, I, I did enjoy it. I did cry as well. Yeah, but that's okay to cry, Sam. It's definitely okay to cry. I mean, it's, I've been told repeatedly by the guys in the movie that it's beautiful and honest, you know. So I was, so I was, I was standing up. I was showing everyone else around me. I was You're like, look crying. at my, look at my tears. Cry signaling. <laughs> yeah, I was cry signaling. Yeah, it would be quite funny if, like, because in the movie people don't just cry, but they like properly scream and have like massive freakouts. And well, they haven't cried for like decades, right? It's all coming out. So it so pans up. Yeah, I haven't seen that. The the the, the the one that I found like the most sort of interesting is this guy. He's called Brian, I think. He's just a complete dickhead. Yeah, yeah. He's just like an absolute asshole. He's like, if it was a fictional thing, you would have created him as just the obvious villain. He's like so <laughs> obnoxious, and he just treats everyone like shit. And like everyone else has got this really open-hearted, like you know, we're all hit, we're all brothers, like yeah. attitude. And he's just a prick. Yeah. And then there's this one bit where he he is horrible to somebody, and that guy is like calls him out, and then he just absolutely. <laughs> freaks out in this epic way he goes completely ape shit and it's like and then uh, suddenly all these other guys around him are like you know i didn't like you before brian but now i see you in a in yeah. a different light you know you're having to confront your, your difficulties and it's like even absolute assholes have feelings that's an important message of the film as well yeah so yeah so good yeah good stuff <laughs> so, <laughs> i've said i've said my thoughts on that it's very good maybe we should have a little uh film have a little group, session. group therapy session invite our fans Oh uh, man, that's a, a good idea. Come, we'll discuss movies and stuff, and uh, just well, hug well, it out. Well, weren't you asking? Like one of the things we were talking about um, a little while ago was like what movies freaked you out as a child, or whatever. Yeah. 
So we just need to expand that a little bit into like what movies gave you emotional scars as a child that you never really dealt with. Yeah. And we'll have an intensive four day course. We'll watch all those movies together yeah and cry and hug and we'll be like this is a space without judgment you know don't worry you can be whoever you want to be but what we'll be thinking is someone better fucking break down soon or this is just a waste of time <laughs> like you better have an absolute mental breakdown break down come on come on speed it up let's go start screaming start crying <laughs> i got a i got a series of techniques that we use to deal with that but i really have nothing if if you don't do that so <laughs> there's only so many games I of fizz have, bugs I can't have can a normal play. conversation anymore it has to be with someone <laughs> on the edge He's of shaking and screaming. if I'm not talking about a suicide I have nothing to say to you so. yeah anyway Sam uh, what is this podcast about I'm glad you asked Danny so Film Chat is a podcast best described I would say uh, if you were advertising to your friends I, w- I would advise you tell them that it's rude crude wildly absurd deliciously tasteless and laugh out loud funny uh, it's also directed by the man behind Caddyshack and Analyze This, the late Harold Ramis. What? I mean, he is dead, but he's still directing this podcast. Danny and I are a pair of bumbling caveman types who are kicked out of our tribe of hunter-gatherers after Danny eats forbidden fruit from the Tree of Knowledge. Mm-mm. We meet Cain and Abel, and then we sort of go on a road trip. We get captured by the Romans, and then we're sentenced to death by stoning in a scene which is in no way reminiscent of the life of Brian. Uh, a lot of people ask us why we've got Old Testament sort of Bible gags and also like Roman stuff. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, our answer to that question is you obviously have no sense of humor and you have no appreciation for wildly absurd, deliciously tasteless comedy. Is what I would be saying <laughs> if this was a pod adaptation of the film Year One starring Jack Black and Michael Cera. Instead, it's a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster and joining me, one of the rudest, crudest, most wildly absurd and deliciously tasteless men I know. Danny Moran. Ooh, that's me. On this week's episode, I review Coco, the latest sumptuous animation from Pixar, based around those most family-friendly of concepts, dementia and the crushing inevitability of death. And Sam reviews the latest album animation, Early Man, a quintessentially British creation that combines all the things we Brits love, such as football, whimsical jokes, and shitting on the French. Bloody French. Plus, we discuss whether Ridley Scott is actually any good, wonder what the proposed sequel to The Passion of Christ will be like, and express our extreme contempt about the recent news that has apparently no Grindelwald, Dumbledore, Felching scene, and Fantastic Beasts 2. Fucking bullshit, JK. All of which should give me just enough time to tell you about my latest Facebook event. It's on February 16th. It's entitled Give Black Panther a Solid 68% on Ron Tomatoes, okay? I'm sick to death of the fucking Marvel fanboys giving inflated movie scores yeah. to films which are decidedly average to pretty good. And I'm equally annoyed by the bloody DC fanboys downvoting films which are pretty average and pretty good to gain lower marks. So I want everyone out there on all the forums, on the Rotten Tomatoes, on the IMDb's, just downvoting our voting, keeping it all very steady, all very level on February 16th as we sail towards some kind of normalcy. Don't you want it on, don't you want it on 69%, Danny, so that everyone can say nice all the time? Yes, sorry. Correction, it's gotta, 69%. It's got to be the sex number for all the jokes that people people yeah. can do after that. So, yeah, get on it. Um, I will get on that. I'll, I'll be the ringleader. You've convinced me it's a great idea. We got a message from Hoppo on Twitter. Hoppoon. Hoppoon. 
assuming assuming uh, he's Welsh, also assuming that it's a it's a man. Don't know don't know either of those things for for a fact. It's like an everyday patriarchy there, just assuming he's a Welsh man. Um, he says really enjoying film chat podcast. Currently my favourite podcast. Thanks a, very much. What a guy. That's lovely. <laughs> very nice of you to say. And I want to ask if the film chat crew have considered making a movie themselves. And what kind of movie would you make when the podcast millions inevitably roll in? First of all, they have already rolled in. Danny and I are millionaires this due to a, our podcast. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard any of the adverts they have on Acast, but every time you hear one, we get a big old check <laughs> for tens and tens of thousands of pounds. So we're very rich. Um, and other, the, the, the other thing is that we have already entered the filmmaking world. Yes. We, uh, Danny and I did some uh, uh, filmmaking at school together. We've made a number of wonderful films <laughs> some of them are on youtube <laughs> some of them are on youtube you can go and watch those i was revisiting them recently going down chip down memory lane to have a look at you know what we look like then all our crazy hairdos and stuff like that you know when you're like 15 16 you're like what if i don't get a haircut i look fucking great well then yeah like, i mean what i don't get is like if anyone like our parents generation were lucky in that they grew up at a time when it was cool to have big like shit looking hair <laughs> so that like when you're young and you just don't want to get a haircut, that's also fashionable. Whereas we grew up at a time when that wasn't necessarily true. But I st- and yet, just, we, I mean, yeah, did. we just didn't. Yeah, I just had like ridic- ridiculously long hair. But not like, not like long as in I was growing long hair, just more like a, a sort of medium length haircut that had just grown out horribly. You know, it's like I lived in an area where all the barbers had shut down. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just couldn't get, couldn't get to one. Just couldn't get to one. But fortunately, I'm only in it for a bit. So it's not really that big of an issue. But, but yeah, our film multi-pack is available on YouTube. It's, yeah, so you can watch it's it. It's in about minutes. it's about fifteen minutes long. It's in five parts because back in the day you couldn't upload a YouTube video longer than ten minutes. It's in extraordinarily bad quality, like fucking awful. Uh, <laughs> so that's also a big big part of it. <laughs> and it's got a lot of unlicensed music in it. It's got a lot of unlicensed music in it. Onto yet. Yeah, I think it might be parts of it might be banned in Germany. So that's you get a little illicit thrill from that. And it's all set at school, and it follows a it's like a school prefect who's also like a cop, and he's trying to track down drug dealers who are people who sell junk food. That's the very gag. edgy, very like edgy. Grange Hill meets French uh, Connection. Yeah, but so, but Danny, what would you if you if you were if you were making a proper uh, film with a big budget and everything? What would you? What sort of movie would you like to make? Um, I would like to uh, make Lord of the Rings and get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, shit, I don't know. I would like to make like a, a film, film noir. Can't even make a film noir. Yeah, or neo noir now. I guess I think it's hard to do because it's like so There's caught a lot of... in the trappings of the time. Yeah, to try and do like a modern spin on that. You got to write. You got to write an authentic film noir script, and then you've got to do another pass and take out all the scenes where the hero slaps. You know, dames. Yeah, take yeah. all the dames and the broads take it all and the, the dames. voiceover, and uh... you got to recognise that your twist is that the woman is evil. You yeah. know, and then you got to think about changing that. But yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I thought like, that's a genre that sort of kind of disappeared. Maybe I kind of. I think the big, the interesting challenge with noir is doing something which both like captures the feel of it, but doesn't feel like a pastiche. You yeah, know, like uh, Ryan Johnson's track. Brick is a, uh, it's good fun, but it's yeah. like it is feels highly pastiche and like stylized. And it would be, it's the, all the sort of trappings of, um, of noir are not just like ironically fun or, you know, uh, fun because of their heightened reality, but they're just, you know, detective stories are quite cool, fun things. So. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's not a bad, not a bad shout. You've inspired me, Hapone. I'm going to start writing now. I'll update you next week. Every week, a new segment. How's Danny getting on writing that film noir? (laughs) (laughs) How sexist is it? How racist is it? Very and very. (laughs) Um, You've been tweeting, haven't you? I've been some tweeting. This was, I tweeted, inspired by the news that Ridley Scott is going to get the BAFTA Fellowship Prize, the sort of lifetime achievement BAFTA award. Oldest man who hasn't yet got a prize. Exactly. And I tweeted the somewhat snarky question out of the 25 feature films Ridley Scott has directed how many are good and people responded with the usual suspects like alien and blade runner not the film the usual suspects uh, he, he, he didn't, didn't write he, that he didn't make that he didn't make that and uh, i think chris suggested legend which is a pretty fun movie but i felt that like it kind of backed up my point which i was sort of gesturing towards which is that his batting average is pretty low and uh there's about maybe like five films there are films that are good but in terms of ones that have like stood the test of time and people still talk about i've got this cast iron theory that just makes one acclaimed film a decade yeah so it's the 70s is alien 80s is blade runner 90s is Thelma and louise noughties is gladiator and naughty tens is the martian yeah and i feel that's pretty pretty solid that's and working as, out aside from those movies well, there's you mean there's also a legend that was cited. Is the Duelist any good? Have you seen that? This is a debut film. His I have not film. seen it. I saw a bit of it, and I was a bit um, sort of amused by their haircuts. They're very authentic, like uh, whatever century it is, seventeenth or eighteenth century. Oh, they really? Work, they've got like uh, ponytails. These like you know gruff men dueling, and I'm like, well, they, they look so stupid. Bunch of little, little girly, bunch of wimps. Little girly haircuts. Little girly boys. I think it's safe to say. I'm just looking through his filmography now. I think it's safe to say that he's made more films that have been absolutely trash <laughs> critically than he has like acclaimed films. Well, I like, like the Counselor, everybody absolutely hated it. Exodus, Gods and Kings is also apparently terrible. A Good Year, I've actually seen and is obviously awful. Like <laughs> Russell Crowe trying to be like Hugh Grant basically, Eesh. and it's not good at all. Uh, Black Hawk Down, that's supposed to be dreadful, isn't it as well? And uh, yeah, even heard of. and I don't think Gladiator is all that really. No, I mean either. Although it did, I mean, back at school, everyone loved that movie, right? That was like mm-hmm. one of the most popular movies in the playground, I would say. Uh, but is it that good? Nah, is it that good? I got to go back and tell all those fourteen-year-olds, you know, to sharpen up. Well, yeah, I would say like his output. I kind of feel that Ridley Scott is due a slight kind of like George Lucas reappraisal, where he's so inconsistent, and particularly with these like Alien sequels. It's it's like George Lucas and like, like he doesn't understand what made the original work and yeah. it makes you doubt whether he really knew what he was doing or whether he still just lucked out. Which I know is like it's always this kind of thing of like how much is do you believe in the auteur theory? How much is it just you know all the different departments being really good and he was just there and he was really good at orchestrating them? I don't know. Like a really scum movie, such a roll of the dice that I don't know. Well, if he's his good. most the, his sort of most famous movies, Alien and Blade Runner, are both films with you know they were made on quite restricted budgets, right? With like um, a lot of yeah. particular circumstances surrounding their production, yeah, you know, that resulted in these these films that are quite that are quite claimed. And I wonder if Ridley Scott's kind of key skill is a bit like Robert Rodriguez or something like that. You know that he's very good at the getting it done, the logistical side of filmmaking. And when he gets like a mega budget, he just like produces some absolute garbage like Exodus, Gods and Kings or Alien Covenant or something like that. I mean, all the money in the world is like, you know, would support my theory because like the best thing about it is the fact that he was able to replace Kevin Spacey within like a week's notice without anyone being able to tell. Yeah. And it's like, that's very impressive. But the actual movie is not all that. So 
Yeah, I guess I don't know. Are you the same before we started recording? I was like, how distinctive is he as a director? And I feel like Alien and Blade Runner are influential, but like... But they're not representative. Essentially, like not really it? representative of his work. Necessarily. Yeah, you yeah. can say like, oh, that's a classic like Scorsese type sequence or Spielberg type sequence. But really, Scott is a bit kind of. Yeah, I don't know. What is? What Who is else would have thought to put the dove in his hands? You know, when he dies at the end of Blade Runner. <laughs> it's real filmmaking. But yeah, I know he's just obviously held in much regard. He's produced a lot of good stuff. So maybe that's why he's good. <laughs> 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 yeah that's probably how they'll introduce him on, on, on the BAFTAs they'll be like and and now I'm honoured to introduce this, a man with a rather patchy uh, directing <laughs> career but he has made a few films that are really excellent and he, actually as a producer he's really not not bad at all so I think that might be why he's getting this award <laughs> Ridley Scott <laughs> yeah superhero films announced casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tips Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's been to print Right, Fantastic Beasts 2 The sequel to Fantastic Beasts Where to Find Them We've talked a little bit about this before And it came under fire recently After David Yates, the director, gave an interview In which he said that Dumbledore's sexuality will not be made explicit or not explicitly discussed in the film. So after the Harry Potter book series finished, J.K. Rowling sort of went back and tweaked it a bit to make it a little more diverse (laughs) and woke in retrospect. And uh, one of the things that she did was um, explain to us all that Dumbledore is gay and that his rivalry with the evil wizard Grindelwald uh, was... uh, a sort of love affair as well and then Grindelwald became evil so they were they sort of were lovers and then one of them became evil and that probably broke them up uh, and in this uh, prequel film that they're making now uh, he is going to be the chief villain Grindelwald uh, played by um, domestic, the domestic abuser, abuser Johnny Depp and actor Johnny Depp and collection of bangles and scarves <laughs> and sort of drug addict whereas uh, Jude Law is playing Dumbledore and so this will be taking place, given the first movie, when Grindelwald is obviously already an evil Nazi terrorist type. Uh, and therefore, in their shared histories will be this, according to, you know, the rolling canon, she's written the new movie. Uh, well, they'll have this, like, shared romantic history. And so um, it does seem rather odd that that would not be a factor in the movie. Like, if they had been lovers and, you know, had this torrid love affair, you think there would be that would have some relevance to the way they interacted, you know? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily they're going to be, like, blowing kisses at each other all the time or, like, getting visible erections, but you'd think that it would affect their dynamic in some way. Yeah. And, like, the David Yates interview was kind of funny because he was like, uh, well, all the fans know that going in, so, you know, we don't really need to talk about it. Like, and, yeah, it's just Yeah, it's disappointing, really. I've, like... Uh, my opinion of J.K. Rowling has sort of gone down and down over the years. Yeah, and I'm just another person for whom tw- Twitter has been disastrous. Yeah. She's just stuck in the '90s, politically and culturally. She yeah. just can't escape 1995 or whenever Harry Potter was set. And you know, it's something a bit distasteful about like normally making one of your characters gay and then not at all making that clear. It's like he could equally not be gay then. You know, yeah, absolutely. He's either gay or he's not. Yeah, it doesn't and, like um, make your story, you know, more woke or like progressive if you yeah. just if you just label a character after the fact you're like oh that, that, they're gay they're yeah. gay by the way yeah and um this this ancient man with his shriveled genitals that he has no interest in sex now but but he once he was and he's he was gay 
He was, so he don't was don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> a lot of people criticize me of having no gay characters, but uh, the old man's gay. And uh, so the she. phoenix is gay. <laughs> the sword is gay as well. Any character that can't fuck is gay. <laughs> The sorting, the sorting hat. Fucking gay. Like gay is the day is long. That's sorting hat. Yeah. But um, obviously there was a lot of furore on Twitter about it. But I saw them, a lot of people making this very astute point that, you know, having a in a mainstream blockbuster like Fantastic Beasts where it's just being sold on the Harry Potter thing, it means that it has an opportunity to have, uh, you know, LGBT characters. And it's like he's not even the main character. So it'd be the easiest way to have a mainstream uh fictional gay character for like a mainstream audience yeah and that's be a good thing and like pointing how star wars has successfully transitioned from quite you know anglo-saxon inclusive fanboy thing into this progressive open world where everyone you know can sort of see themselves in it i mean it hasn't got every demographic but it's doing but yeah it's making doing... strides in yeah, that yeah, yeah 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 and harry potter is continually just like white as fuck and like heteronormative and you know so at odds with it jk rowling's like sort of new age hippie tweets about you know love and acceptance and it's like well just put your fucking money where your mouth is yeah it's like it's one of those things that reminds you where these boundaries lie the idea that they would shy away from making double door gay makes you realize that it would be a good idea to do that you know if it would be like weird to have jude law as a like a man who's like obviously attracted to other men and they'd be nervous about doing it then yeah. it's like a sign that we obviously not have not made sufficient progress in this area. Rowling had quite a funny tweet about this. She said, uh, obviously the angle on this is like she got too many angry tweets from fans. Yeah. That's always the def- that's like the first line of defense is like uh, a lot of people are criticizing me, but um, you don't know what it's like to be a public figure who gets you know yelled at. So she tweeted, being sent abuse about an interview that didn't involve me, about a screenplay I wrote, but which none of the angry people have read, which is part of a five-movie series that's only one that's only one installment in. You're a writer? Copy edit your tweets. Uh, is obviously tons of fun, but you know what's even more fun? Uh, and then she just posted a gif of a guy muting. He's like right. pressing the mute button on his remote. I do so, like that. I think you point out like before the defense, like it's only one movie in. There's five. There's, there's five, five films. You, you haven't gayer. seen the title of the third film. It's very, very gay that one. <laughs> so don't. Oh, also, oh, a lot of the fans are angry about. Well, you won't. You'll be. I want to see your face in 2025 when the fifth film comes out <laughs> and it's just fucking packed with with gay obvious activities. <laughs> fucking the first scene to the last. <laughs> The other thing I mean, like, <laughs> this is like the idea, like it's not explicit. So, like, how? What does it like mean then? Like, is he just like got a Judy Garland LP or something <laughs> up in his office, or like, yeah, there's like a few hens that he's gay. Have you read uh, what was this sort of... by Juno Barnes? It's my favorite book. Wow. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I mean, I was trying to think what's like the most sort of gay culture that you can. Have you read Oranges and the Only Fruit? It's my favorite <laughs> book. Okay, Dumbledore, a bit off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, you see Moonlight, it's brilliant. Oh, hey, goodness, in the past, isn't he? Unless he went into the future and watched it, came back. Well, it's man, they're still in the world of magic, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, why do not? whatever he wants. Why can't he go to the future and watch Moonlight? Just yeah. win an Oscar one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, to conclude, boo to rolling. Boo, boo to rolling. Boo. Boo. So talking of somebody who has a somewhat checkered past about <laughs> respect, uh, I don't want to segue so, from so, someone else. Someone else whose reputation has declined <laughs> has over declined time. Declined in time. 
Uh, Mel Gibson, even though he saw him be rehabilitated, right? He was in Daddy's Home too. He did Hacksaw Ridge. He's been forgiven. Yeah, maybe. just well, it's just time. Time heals all wounds, time you know, and uh, restores all reputations. Absolutely. So he's been muting a Passion of the Christ two for a while. The sequel to his 2004 smash hit film, which earned 612 million on a 30 million budget which I haven't seen, but was famous for his extreme violence and uh, anti-Semitism. All the signs were there, really, that uh, Mel maybe hates the Jews. Yeah. And uh, he's going to do a follow-up about Jesus uh, post-death. Yeah, post the second coming. Well, the the, you know, the first, uh, during the first coming, but the second time he he turned up then, yeah. And uh, Jim Caviezel is going to reprise his role as Jesus Christ, and... He gave an interesting quote about the project. He said, There are things that I cannot say that will shock the audience. It's great. Stay tuned. I won't tell you how he's going to go about it, but I'll tell you this much. The film he's going to do is going to be the biggest film in history. (laughs) It's that good. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? You couldn't say that about Early Man or Coco, could you? It's not the biggest film in history. Not the biggest film in history. So that's going to be something. Um, yeah, The Passion of the Christ, probably one of the weirdest films made in, in recent times. The, the whole thing is in Aramaic and classical Latin. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly just scenes of Jesus being tortured. Like, I was reading a couple of reviews of it earlier today, and it's all like, they're saying how it's like shot like a horror film, basically, and he's, you know, he's have... just being, always being chased by the, the villainous Jews. Yeah, it's an odd one. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the first one made a shit ton of money, and I guess you can't underestimate the sort of, you know, Bible Belt dollar, like movies like God's uh, Not Dead made a shit yeah, ton yeah, of yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So these movies are lucrative. Uh, well, there's I'd... this perception amongst the Christian part of uh, America that Hollywood is this like godless land of atheists who is just mocking them all the time and they yeah. think religion is stupid. So I think whenever one of these movies uh, leaks out that's like very obviously devout, yeah. then they're like, finally, you know, someone, finally. someone's listening to the Christians and they, and they, they turn out and force to see it. Although, I mean, it was just like, it's just an, a very noticeably weird angle to take on the story of, of Jesus. I mean, I guess it identifies something that's certainly true in the New Testament narrative, which is that it's like stunningly violent and grotesque. I mean, that you know, that is all in there. It's like horrifyingly brutal. And that's always one of the things that seem to be odd to me when you sort of walk around churches and they have the stations of the cross. And it's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. there's a lot of torture in the iconography in here, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, like Bill that Hicks, Hicks, yeah. the Bill Hicks yeah. bit about, yeah. You want to see a fucking crucifix? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But maybe because the second one, so there's only a bit more Jesus to go, right? I mean, it, presumably, I, you know, I, I haven't seen it, the Passion of the Christ, but assuming that since the second one will deal with his resurrection, yeah. one imagines that he does not, that does not happen in the first film, and it probably concludes with his expiration on the cross. Well, isn't it like he goes down to hell, doesn't he? Like, when he dies and, like, frees a bunch of people, harrowing of hell. Yeah, that's part of it, isn't it? He spends like, three days in hell. And... Yeah, and he, like, frees everyone except for the people who didn't believe in him. I think they, they have to stay or something. That doesn't even make sense. I mean, they're all, they're all, they're all ready <laughs> well. in hell. So how do they, they have the chance to make that decision, you know? Is that in the movie, as far as you're aware? No, I don't think it's in the film, but isn't that what happens in the Bible? He goes to hell and like, frees a bunch of souls? Um, I don't know. My, my theology is a bit rusty on this, yeah, so I, I don't recall too. exactly what Jesus... No, I mean, Jesus. I, yeah, I believe that he... he uh, there's some... There's certainly... I mean, it's probably a difference, you know, in different denominations, exactly what, what Jesus is up to there. But anyway, he spends three days dead, and then he, and then he comes back. So the, the second movie will be that period. Yeah. But it will be, I guess, intrinsically quite tonally different, because he's not getting like whipped and beaten and stabbed all the time, so... 
he's just kind of wandering about telling the disciples to do stuff and you know i mean a bit funny we're just like you know he's been gone for three days but he's aged 14 years <laughs> you're right actually well i guess it's he had a tough time in hell doesn't he it's gonna be like that bit in uh, fast and furious 7 where uh that lucas black from the third uh <laughs> fast and furious but that's set after six and like, yeah ages like 10 years between two scenes <laughs> you're right it will be very similar to that but yeah it is one so forty, and i think it's also a kind of a funny sign of just how the extent to which mel gibson has been embraced again by hollywood is yeah. that he's just kind of like, and now to get my career back on track, I'll make a sequel to the film I made just before it went down the toilet. <laughs> and I was reading some of the reporting on this. I mean, that the story that you were reading from on, on Empire, you know, talks about like the overtones of anti-Semitism and referred to like Gibson's like controversial remarks or like his offensive remarks or something like that. And the story on Birth Movie's death was like, um, of course, Gibson has still uh, got a bit of a bruised reputation after using racially charged language. And I was like, racially charged I mean, that's one way to put it. I mean, if you, like, read a transcript of it, I would say that describing it as... <laughs> exactly. It's like, I don't know how you could possibly say something worse than that. So, you know, like, that's, like, the, that's, like, the, the sort of you know, loosest way to describe it. Like We can't obviously repeat it, but, like, it's almost, like, incredible, like, how much how bigotry offensive. is like, Yeah, exactly. It's, it's thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Very offensive in a number of ways in a very short uh, space of words. Almost impressive. Almost impressive. Yeah, um... And uh, especially because, like, you watch The Passion of the Christ and I guess, you know, the, the, the way that he deals with the subject matter is, like, hardly surprising. This is, like, quite a bizarre man who's, like, you know, uh, got some issues. And now he's just sort of returning to that type of material. Unless yeah. this is representative of how he was in a dark place then. And now he's, you know, been to uh, Hollywood he's, therapy or whatever. <laughs> he's grown his giant, like, Jesus beard. He's become Jesus. And now he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. And he doesn't, he does, he loves fake tits. Now he's got no, <laughs> he's got no, got no problem with him whatsoever. Um, uh, well, you know, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Fun to watch. Can't wait to watch the biggest film in history. <laughs> <laughs> Bold claim, Gaviezel. Quite excited Bold claim. to see the biggest film in history there. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-clenchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off so Coco, this is the latest film from Pixar Studios. This one directed by Lee Unkrich, who previously directed Toy Story 3. Remember that film? You were emotionally devastated by it. He's back to emotionally devastate you again. So the plot is about a young Mexican kid called Miguel, and he's from this big Mexican family. And the prologue explains that his great-great-grandmother was jilted by her husband, who was a, a guitarist, and he went off to pursue a musical career. And as a result... She has forbidden music to be in the family and she started a cobbling business and now four generations down, uh, they just have a successful cobbling, uh, the successful cobblers. And but young Miguel, he's got music in his heart and he secretly like learns how to play the guitar, much to the chagrin of his family. Here is a clip of uh, him talking to a local mariachi player and his grandma turns up and she's not happy. Ah, mira, mira, they're setting up for tonight. The music competition for Dia de Muertos. You want to be like your hero? You should sign up. Uh-uh, my family would freak. Look, if you're too scared, then well, have fun making shoes. Come on, what did De La Cruz always say? Seize your moment? Show me what you got, muchacho. I'll be your first audience. Miguel! <gasps> Abuelita! What are you doing here? Um, uh, you leave my uh, grandson uh, 
on alone. Doña, please. I was just getting a shine. I know your tricks, mariachi. What did he say to you? He was just showing me his guitar. <gasps> Shame on you. Hey. My grandson is a sweet little angelito querido cielito. He wants no part of your music, mariachi. You keep away from him. <laughs> And then, uh, that's just a, a lot of plot to get through, so this is going to take a while to set up. And then on the Mexican Day of the Dead, due to reasons, he ends up in the afterlife, where he meets all his uh, departed loved ones. And but he's not dead. But he's not dead. I feel dead. like just saying due to reasons makes it seem like the <laughs> child could dead. be killed. He's not dead. For, you know, certain plot reasons, he's not dead, but he's allowed to wander in the afterlife. And it's all about how to visit your loved ones uh, from the afterlife on the Day of the Dead. You have to have your photo put up in this like special little memorial section and basically if you if you're remembered by the living you can cross over during the day of the dead and one day you'll be forgotten and you just fade away and it becomes this sort of quest while he's like wandering through the sort of underworlds and he's got to find his way back home but also he's got to convince his family that music is okay because they all have they've lost it uh, from their hearts exactly yeah so this was really good i thoroughly enjoyed it i would say it's probably like mid-level pixar but that is still mid-level pixar is you know better than most things are and most most things are (laughs) (laughs) better than most things and it is like a really beautiful looking movie and i think it's like become you know just easy to undersell how beautiful the animation is in pixar and to a certain extent, the animation industry sort of metabolized around Pixar, or like people are trying to like reach its levels. Yeah, but yeah. I still think they're always like a cut above most things. And the creation of the underworld is really inventive and beautiful, and it's a very cool depiction of death, where it just seems to be like a constant carnival. And maybe it's like a very sort of Mexican outlook, and the fact they have a whole day where you just dress up like a skeleton is quite, you know, seems a bit odd to the Western world, but it's just a bit more of a healthy attitude towards. Well, I like the idea that the. Uh... The festival, like the Day of the Dead, is not just like a party where you, uh, you know, um, like celebrate death or you, you know, you deal with death or whatever. But it's like also a depiction of literally what the underworld is like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a happy... you're just acting it out like that's what the underworld is like. It's just a fun time. Yeah, and um, the plotting is a bit like a greatest hits of Pixar stuff, and it reminded me a lot of Inside Out and Monsters Inc., where it's this sort of conceptually bold idea mixed with like an idea of bureaucracy. So it's like the whole like getting passage to the place is like run by all these clerks and, you know, skeletons at typewriters and stuff. But I say unlike Monsters Inc. or Inside Out, which had a very like sort of complex but easy to grasp understanding of how the world worked, the playing's a bit looser. And looking back, I'm not sure if it all kind of made sense, but I was kind of with it in the moment. And there's a lot of winning jokes about, you know, a skeleton running an office. What's that about? Yeah. And lots of like really uh, stupid uh, dumb visual jokes around people just being skeletons they really mine that concept for all it's worth and it's also a little bit low stakes in that because everyone's already dead and it's all about him kind of convincing his family there's no like real villains till like the final third of the movie it's a bit like up in that respect where it's just like him they're going on an adventure and then right at the end like crystal plum is the villain it's yeah, like yeah a similar thing where it's a lot of uh you could say treading water I mean, for example, there's a scene where like, he has to win a talent competition in order to get the prize, which is an entry to an exclusive party. But whether he wins or loses that competition doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Right, yeah. Looking back, you're like, well, nothing he really does in the first half of the movie pays off. <laughs> but it was just fun being along for the ride. 
but it does like its most successful element it has a very touching and accurate depiction of dementia and the coco of the title refers to his great-grandmother who is the daughter of uh the guy who left and in the final stretch of the movie it kind of ties together the main themes which is like the power of music and also the idea of memory this whole idea like you live on if you're remembered and because coco's memory is failing and it basically it can kind of concludes the plot and ties together these two themes in a very sort of satisfying way where it's like, you know, it was always heading towards that destination and then it kind of landed in the final stretch. And I kind of saw it coming a mile off and I was like, I know what you're doing, movie. Nice try. And then I was like, in floods of tears, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is too much. Yeah. So yeah, that bit was great. And the music is also very affecting, even though I feel in like lesser hands, it'd be a bit cheesy and perhaps it is, but I'm just like, I'm with it. You've, you've sold it. You've sold it to me. And uh, yeah, there's a funny dog. Oh, good. And... <laughs> and How many? Say, are there any more amusing animals, like funny there's, animals? There's a funny, like sort of spirit cat. Oh yeah, excellent. And that's quite funny. The way to do it, like I said, that's like the Disney way, right? You have one real animal and then one kind of fantastical one. Yeah. To to balance it out. Exactly. Yeah. So I would say it's it's well worth a watch. It's like maybe not quite as I feel on paper it's trying to attempting to be something like Inside Out, which is like this sort of very conceptually bold idea mixed with a sort of the kind of Pixar thing of like going on a journey uh, odd double act like Miguel like uh, joins forces with this sort of skeleton called Hector who like needs to be remembered or he's going to fade away and it's not quite up there with the heights but at the same time it's just still really really good cool sounds good so I would heartily recommend it's better than most things looks like Sam's got a film to review he's just getting ready now Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Um, I went to see my own child's film, <laughs> Early Man. This is the latest film from Ardman Animations of uh, Wallace and Gromit fame, and also behind Shaun the Sheep and various other Chicken projects. Run. Chicken Run, and, starring uh, that anti-Semite uh, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, yeah. Um, so this is their the latest project. It's they've done a few like computer animated ones, but this is one of their ones, which is classic stop motion uh, claymation. Their their wheelhouse. Great, exactly what you want. I feel like. I am the target audience for this film. Uh, <laughs> I went to see Shaun the Sheep by myself and I had a great time in the cinema and I grasped it on a much deeper level than the fucking idiot four-year-olds who comprised the rest of the audience. And so this one, I also I also went to it um, alone. I wanted, didn't want anyone else disturbing my Artman experience. And anyway, I'll set up the plot. <laughs> so so uh, it's, got slightly, it's got a slightly strange concept. It's like set in the prehistoric era, sort of caveman times, but it's not like particularly concerned with, you know, historical uh, accuracy or anything. Obviously, what? it's just it's just a collection <laughs> of ideas, basically. So wait a second, it's not historically accurate. Well, if you get angry at the beginning because there's dinosaurs and humans alive at the same time, you know, you just gotta you just gotta push push through you that one. Push faster. So there's a caveman tribe, and there's a, a cheeky little lad called Doug who thinks that they can do anything, but they're all a bit of a bunch of blundering idiots. And at the beginning, they get pushed out of their valley by some Bronze Age people who are sort of pushing out the Stone Age. They're like the Bronze Age industrialists kind of a thing. Yeah. And then in order to um, get back their, their their valley, they need to play a football match against the, the Bronze Age people. Of course they do. So they've all got to sort of train to, to, to play football. And they don't know football before. 
uh, but their ancestors, as is um, set up in the prologue of the movie, were football players, so they have a sort of football-playing past they can tap into. Sure. Here is a clip of Doug, who is played by Eddie Redmayne, doing his absolute best schoolboy voice. He sounds it's just like, his normal voice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but he's really going for like the schoolboy thing in this one. He sounds a little bit like um, Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. Just with like a less sort of, he doesn't ever say narf. Narf. Yeah. But um, anyway, so here he is uh, talking to his other friends uh, about, about football. He's made this deal to play football. The leader of the bronze people, he says, if we play this game and beat them at Ooh, it. Nice tight shots. Oh, mum. We can have our valley back. That's what we want. <laughs> and if we don't beat them? Oh, uh, well, then. He said, we'll spend the rest of our miserable lives working down a mine. No! What's a mine? So I, I, was, I would say slightly disappointed in this. Oh, um, no. But I imagine the children probably had a great time. The children. But I'm the, my like, good opinion is the most important thing. And I thought it was not one of their best. <laughs> um, no, it's like it was... Uh, it was a very entertaining but extremely slight and I would say that the main thing that I took issue with is that there's a there's a bit of a lack of the visual inventiveness or like the visual wit uh, that has characterized some of their other movies basically Shaun the Sheep which was packed with like absolutely hilarious visual gags like every second and you're then known as well like a lot of that Walter Gromit stuff there's loads of stuff going on in the frame all the time and that kind of thing yeah sort of Chaplin-esque sort of like yeah 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 um, whereas in Early Man I felt like a lot of the visual humour was just a substance going into someone's face like that yeah. happens like a lot you know <laughs> and I'm not like I'm here to laugh at like custard pie type jokes you Why know not? but there's just there's a certain amount of diminishing returns I mean it happens very very frequently um, and I just like the general level of wit of it was probably not at its absolute peak. But at the same time, I I I think I'm relatively easy to please in terms of like any feature length claymation thing. I'm kind of excited to see, yeah. and it's always there's something satisfying about about watching something that's so tactile, uh, and you see exactly how much work has gone into every second of it. And obviously CGI animation is also very labor intensive. But there's something about knowing that's you know all this stuff has yeah, been absolutely. laboriously positioned. Uh, that makes it particularly satisfying to watch. And the more elaborate sequences of animation where there's tons of moving figures, like it's quite ambitious, I would say. Like there's all this like football match and like big crowds and you know, they have they have a lot to do basically. Um and that's quite that's quite good fun to watch. Um but uh yeah, I mean I I've sort of have a there's not I don't know how much to say about it exactly because How's the uh, voice cast of it, isn't it like Tim Tom Hiddleston? So it's got it? a very, very starry voice cast, yeah. So Tom Hiddleston is in it, Eddie Redmayne is in it, and I find that odd as well. It's like what like why? Like these sort of two like ultra posh guys who are in everything now. But isn't uh, Tom Hiddleston doing like a French accent or something? Yes, he's playing an evil Frenchman, he's good Lord Nuth. I mean, like a lot of the comedy felt felt a bit like faded Monty Python esque stuff. Yeah, yeah. A I've... French man who is a lord of football and he went to play that of football. You know, it's all a couple of degrees away from um, your, your father smells of elderberries <laughs> and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so but it's also got like Timothy Spall in it, Richard Iowadi is in it, um, Kay Van Novak is in it, as Maisie yeah. Williams is in it, doing a very weird accent. I've no, she sounded a bit like American French, like I didn't really know what she was going for. It's a bit odd. Um, anyway, it's like, yeah, it's like I would say that if if you were charmed by the prospect of seeing this, uh, yeah, like a claymation animated, very sort of light, obviously if it's a children's film, uh, jaunty thing with jokes about rocks and football and you know 
people in the past who play football where the football wasn't invented then you know yeah then you probably have fun with it but it's not it's not a movie where i'd be like even if you don't like children's films you should rush out and see it like shawn the sheep there's actually a teaser for shawn the sheep the second yeah. movie that came ahead of it and i was laughing more at that than i basically did like <laughs> in the rest like i yeah, was so yeah. excited by it and then it was like coming out in 2019 i was like fuck you fuck, fuck you. you make it faster i know that there's a lot of production time on these projects but come on come on so so just go so, to um be a fire media tech you can watch wrong trousers for free yeah do that or go see coco i guess in our sort of children's movie bonanza that would be the slightly preferable one yeah coco is good but yeah there's a joke let me let me uh, gauge how funny you find this joke okay right? so there's a bit in it where there's there's like some commentators for uh for the football match at the end the climatic football match and uh, there's a, a one of the footballers commits a foul and, he, and the guy says um that's just not cricket whatever cricket is <laughs> that's pretty good i say that's about that level of laughter <laughs> like that's the peak you know that's kind of funny okay it's kind of funny yeah, it's kind of funny. i'll watch it when it's on like you know boxing day and three years time exactly yeah it'd be, it'd be perfect for that kind of- hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her But she beats them in the end Okay, we've been uh, joined by a guest It's our friend James Andrews, friend of the show Hi guys Hi James, hello James, you're, yeah, you're sitting quite far away You want to you nudge in Lean in When you laugh at all the gags that we make It's got to be audible Like a good feminist, leaning in <laughs> An ally so, James, earlier we were talking about the Passion of the Christ sequel, Passion of the Christ 2, which Jim Caviezel <laughs> has been promoting. Uh, the news headlines saying that he will be returning as Jesus. Jesus is coming back for, for Passion of the Christ 2, the resurrection. Um, is this a real thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 100% real. And I was, I was looking into this a little bit. So um, it's going to be written, apparently, by this guy, Randall Wallace, who's the writer of Braveheart. So he's worked with Mel Gibson before, and also, but like another thing that he did in his career is uh, make this film called Heaven Is for Real, which he wrote and directed uh, in 2014, and stars like Greg Kinnear and a, and a couple of other familiar faces. That actor who played Sandman in Spider-Man Three, remember that guy, Thomas Hidden Church. That's the man. He's in it also. And uh, Heaven Is for Real is follows a little boy who has a near-death experience and then enters heaven and returns to tell his family that he's been to heaven and stuff. Um, and they're all like, I don't believe you haven't been to heaven, have you? And he's, you know, he says things that prove he's been to heaven. The boy is called, and this is a sign of great screenwriting, ourselves, he's called Colton Burpo. <laughs> <laughs> These all sound like, like fundamental Christian names. Um, Burpo. Do you think the Burpo family, you'd be like, <laughs> their surname is like a Marx Brothers first name for some reason. <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, so Colton Burpo is, uh, yeah, he's, he's, been in, he's been to the afterlife. Um, and see that? Um, it's something like, it's something like, uh, he, uh, shows his, there's like, what is it? Oh yeah, that's right. He knows his mother's had a miscarriage and he's like, mommy. Well, in the future. 
no, no. He's like, no, no, because he's met the miscarried oh infant God. in heaven. Jesus. Mom's, mom's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so fucking dark. Yes. So What's the mum's reaction? Have you seen this film? Or you? I know, I've already watched the trailer for it. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, maybe we can play play a bit of it in a second, but he's like, um, <laughs> the kid The kid is like, mommy, oh, I've, a got a, I've got a sister. <laughs> and she's like, of course you've got one sister. And he's like, no, I have two sisters. You had one who died in your tummy. And she's like, who oh, told God. you a sister died in your tummy? And it's like, I met her in heaven. She's really nice. <laughs> she was an anti-abortion, anti-abortion message in there as well. I would say there is, James. I think, I think you might have picked up on one of the, uh, one of the underlying uh, themes here. Life, life begins at conception. And if you, if you were bored, you just go straight to the fucking afterlife, hang out there to be visited by anyone who gets a near-death experience. You have a conversation with them. The mom's going straight to hell. Yeah, her mum is going to hell immediately for not looking after her pregnancy correctly. Um, She's drinking. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so fucked up, isn't it? But it's like, it reminded me a bit of uh, God's Not Dead in that it's like these uh, religious movies, like um, it, they're always like trying to fulfill the, these like uh, dictums of, you know, having to like these religious criteria, like they've got to tick off these certain boxes of religious truth, but like in so doing, this sort of moral compass goes completely out the window. So they have these like insane, like the the scene of uh, the atheist professor dying at the end of God's Not Dead and then having like a deathbed conversion and everyone's like, what a great, you know, what a great thing to happen. He gets like hit by a car and he's like, now I believe in God. And they're like, Good, you know, see ya. You've, you just, you just made it. Um, they just kill him off because he didn't believe. And uh, yeah, this—I uh, would say this is probably not the most sen- sensitive treatment of miscarriage ever in a movie. Uh, but yeah, so I just thought that was a little tidbit. I guess if you want to know what Passion of the Christ Two might be like, check it out. Heaven is for real, 2014. Greg Kinnear. Watch it. What's that director's name again? He's called Randall Wallace, I believe. Do you get the John right in Braveheart because it's about William Wallace? Like, just, yeah, like, had the same surname. Get me a Wallace, <laughs> <laughs> and he was just available. Gibson demanded uh, demanded a Wallace for this film. Yes, so we got to go watch the Boss Baby with James now. Yeah, James is here because we're all going to watch the Boss Baby together. So we'll, we'll report back next week about Oscar nominated the Boss Baby. Um, see if it's worthy of that ac- yeah. accolade. Tune in for that review and also the review of Phantom Fred, the new, well, the last Daniel Day Lewis performance. Does he go out on a high or is he just like really fucked it right at the last yeah. movie? Does it, is it, is it a beautiful tapestry or does it unravel? I don't know, something like that. <laughs> something on his lines. Yeah, we've seen it already, but we just need a bit more time to gather our thoughts, you know. I spent too much time writing my extremely in depth review of Early Man, just really unpicking all the themes of that. So we haven't thought enough about Phantom Thread. Anyway. Until then, uh, see you next time. James, thank you for, for being here for, for about two minutes. Thanks, it was a nice surprise. <laughs> All right, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Mommy? Yes, Colton? Did you know I have a sister? You didn't know that Cassie's your sister? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? Honey, who told you I had a baby die in my tummy? In heaven, this little girl came up to me. She told me she died in your tummy. We need to get him in surgery right away. The pain that I suffered watching my son that close to death. We're in trouble here. He's much worse. Will you call some friends and pray for him? The hospital staff said that your son was not expected to survive. Use the word miracle. Your son had a near-death experience. He saw things that I can't really explain. 
I lifted up and I looked down. Mom was in one room, you were in another room yelling at God. He's been out there staring for hours. Is something wrong with Colton? Why do you say that? Sometimes he says weird things. I've been here. I don't think we've been here before, pal. You're the grandpa named Pop, right? He died when I was about your age. He's very nice. You saw my grandfather? Where did you see him? In heaven. Is this him? Is this the man you saw? No, in heaven, everybody's young. Is this him? Yeah, that's him. That's Pop. Honey, did you punch a kid in the nose? They were making fun of Colton. Is he gonna get a spanking? Heck no. She's gonna teach it her hit without hurting your knuckles. I want to believe him. But everything he talks about is impossible. You saw heaven? What does it look like? It's beautiful. We all want to be supported, but we can't have our town turned into a circus. They don't believe me, do they? Some people might be afraid to believe. Don't you think we need to be talking about this life? Do you think my son went to heaven? You don't have to worry. He told me everything was all right. He's making a difference. Haven't we already had a glimpse of something? From the first cry of a baby, the courage of a friend, the love of a mother, a father, I see it, so I believe it. Do you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.